I think any big school owner, and what we're getting to now is being a big school, is that they realise that even if you're teaching good classes, the parents might not see that they're good classes because there's 30 kids running around. Um, even though you're a good instructor, it might not look like you're a good instructor to them. And at the end of the day, they're paying the bills. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I oh, am. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. This podcast episode is the audio version from a video that was published on martialartsmedia.com. For the full episode, to download the transcript and get all the show notes, head over to martialartsmedia.com. Enjoy. Hi, this is George Free. Welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast. I have a, another fantastic guest with me today and uh, someone I actually met, I believe it was in Sydney, we met at the main event, maybe about a year, year or so ago. Go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so Adam Myers, welcome to the call. I'll give you a quick, a quick introduction. Adam has been Adam has a, a diverse martial arts experience. Began training in kickboxing, age of fifteen. Uh, eventually, moving on to taekwondo, where he quickly, quickly found success on the domestic competition circuit. He's an eighteen-time state champion in sparring. He's also the two thousand and fifteen and two thousand and seventeen Australian national champion member of Australian Taekwondo team and the number number one ranked heavyweight in the country. Besides the martial arts uh, achievements, um, Adam's also a really successful school owner and within a short time span of 12 months, he managed to hit 250 students, I believe, Adam? In just over 12 months, yeah. Fantastic. So uh, a lot of knowledge and especially for you know anyone that's Starting out, and even if you're not starting out, if you've been going for a long time and, uh, and, and, and trying to hit those big numbers, this is going to be a valuable interview just to hear how Adam went on that journey. So welcome and welcome to the call, Adam. Thanks so much, George. Really appreciate you having me on the, on the show. I'm, a, I'm an avid listener and a big fan. Perfect. So you better listen to this one then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll download it straight away. All right. <laughs> All right, perfect. So, um, you, I gave a bit of an intro, but just um, just expand a little. Who's who is Adam? Yeah, so um, I've been training martial arts a little bit over ten years. Taekwondo for ten in this coming February. It'll be ten years in February. Uh, I've trained at a lot of different martial arts schools, a lot of different Taekwondo schools, especially throughout my sparring career. Um, I've been on the national team since two thousand fourteen, kind of going overseas and fighting in opens and um, at the Oceania Championships. I went to the the World University Games, where I came ninth, came fifth in the Asian Games last year. Um, I just had a kind of a wide array of international experience with Taekwondo. And I guess what a lot of people didn't know as I was um, as I was fighting and kind of traveling all over the world for, for Taekwondo is that I've actually been coaching since like 2011. So uh, I know that doesn't seem, maybe it doesn't seem long to some of the older guys that listen to the podcast, but... As I was training full-time, I was also pretty much teaching full-time, 20, 25 hours, helping run a couple centers, a couple um, really big Taekwondo schools here 
in Melbourne. So yeah, my type of no experience has been really wide ranging, I guess, with the different mentors and different coaches that I've had. And I guess that's probably the key to the success that I've had in my business is that I've kind of seen what works over here and seen what works over there and kind of pulled all that together into my business story martial arts. All right. So, so if you could elaborate on that. So you were training for how long before you started the, the coaching side? Uh, so I was training for, I think I'd had my black belt for about six to seven months before I started coaching, like, you know, kids classes, beginners, intermediates, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I was training for about three years, I think, before I started coaching. Yeah. And by training, I mean, I was doing six to seven classes a week of, of training and um, preparing for competitions. We would have, you know, state team training at, at Box Hill out here in Melbourne as well. So we'd kind of have your club training and then state team training on the weekends. So, yeah, I was doing a lot of hours, a lot of hours in the car too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So there's, there's a, you know, there's an old saying about, you know, the, the quicker you, the, the quicker you start teaching what you know, the, the quicker you learn because the quicker you sort of articulate everything that's been taught to you. Do you feel that had a, that helped you a lot being, being able to coach from a, from a earlier age? Yeah, definitely. It definitely helps with my martial arts skills because, look, I wasn't the most naturally technical person. I was never the most athletic uh, in, in high school. You know, I didn't really play a lot of – I played a lot of sports, but I wasn't really kind of the superstar, you know. I wasn't like, let's have Adam on our team, that kind of thing. I was always middle of the pack. Um, I just realized that, I guess due to my parents, I'm just the hardest worker in the room, in most rooms that I'm in. And that's probably what attributed to my success in coaching and in – in competing as well. Okay, so so what was the big drive that it just uh, starting with the martial arts side? What was the big drive that really got you in the whole wanting to compete and and really getting that taste for? All right, you know, I want to. I mean, you're 18 time uh, champion. What what was that drive to to take you to that point? Um. In 2009, when I started competing, so I was like a yellow belt, right at the bottom, beginner level, in the juniors, so under-17 division, um, I watched a lot of UFC. I watched The Ultimate Fighter, so the, rea- the reality show that they have, and I saw a lot of these guys were black belts in a couple of different martial arts. So, you know, they would have black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or black belts in Judo. And, you know, uh, they would be Division One national wrestlers, black belts in Taekwondo, Karate, etc. The list goes on. So I just... I really admired the athlete uh, Anderson Silva, who was the UFC middleweight champion at the time. He is a black belt in Taekwondo, in Judo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that was initially my plan, was to just get the three black belts. I thought, well, if I've got three black belts like him, I'm going to be the champ of the world. That's how it works, right? I was 16. <laughs> this is, this is, that, it's, it's, it's as simple as that, to be world champion. Um, so what I did was, it was just a complete fluke. There was a, I was already doing kickboxing a little bit, kind of, you know, two, three times a week, just for fitness and enjoying myself and kind of liking Rocky movies and stuff like that. It wasn't really serious. It was just kind of training for training's sake. A complete fluke in a shopping center one day, there was a Halls Taekwondo booth signing people up to a trial offer. I think it was like $25 for two weeks or whatever it was at the time 10 years ago. And I was like, you know what? Hey, Taekwondo, that was one of his black belts. That's, that's the way to go. We'll start here. And, and again, 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of MMA schools or – or BJJ schools around. So when, when I was kind of coming into my 
um, desire to be a martial artist and to be a competitor, there wasn't really a lot besides Taekwondo and karate around. So I would have to travel like to the city or pretty far away. And I didn't have my license. I mean, I was in high school. So it wasn't really feasible to ask my dad who works, you know, 6 a.m. till 4 to drive me all over the city to go to jiu-jitsu classes um, when there's only two clubs really around, uh, you know, St. Kilda and things like that. It was just a bit too too difficult. Hall's Taekwondo opened up a centre in Sunshine, where I'm originally from in the western suburbs of Melbourne, um, and it was just it was just a perfect match. I went in. I'd been doing kickboxing, like I said, for a little bit, so I just got right to it and started training a couple times a week. Within, I think, five weeks, I got my yellow belt because it was kind of halfway through the term. Um, three weeks later, we had the Victorian Championships. I just had the one match, and I won by knockout. I knocked my opponent out my first ever match, and I probably maybe still maybe thought a bit silly, but um, I was just like, you know what? Let's go to the Olympics. Let's do it. I can. I'm obviously the best in the country already. <laughs> I'm a yellow belt. Uh, it's time to do it. Um, so I just realized, look, I'm starting late, I'm 17 years old. A lot of these guys that are black belts and on the national team at the time have been training since they were five. They're, they've been black belts for 10 years already, and I was just a yellow belt. So how am I going to beat these guys in Olympic trials in London or Rio or anything like that, um, kind of looking ahead? And I just thought, well, you know what? If they're training five times a week, I'll train seven. And if they train eight times a week, I'll train nine. And eventually, over time, that bridge is going to gap. I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bridge that gap. So that was kind of my initial plan was just keep fighting, keep training as hard as I possibly could. Like I said earlier, just being the hardest worker in the room. We had a lot of guys in my club who were uh, at a higher belt rank than me. There weren't a lot of black belts because it was a fairly new center. So there weren't heaps of black belts for me to train with. So what I did was just made sure I turned up every day, did two, three hours of classes and got after it. Right, so simple plan, right? You just get your 10,000 hours first yeah yeah i'm just gonna get my ten thousand hours faster than they can get theirs that was my initial plan really okay great adam so so let's jump into your into your school story martial arts I, a question i actually wanted to ask you the first time why why the name story martial arts uh, that's a it's, a it's a good question and a, not the first time that i've heard that question either george it's not a, it's not an easy name to kind of assign to a martial arts school um there's two reasons um, the first is that my university degree is actually in writing. So I did a literature and composition at uni. Uh, I've written two novels and two collections of poetry, which most people don't know about either uh, because I've been so busy posting all about kicking people in the face for the last 10 years. Um, the second one is that my BJJ coach and very good friend Minos from the Australian Elite team always tells us to get our first page. So. That was kind of like his coaching method. It was like, you know, if you start the match the way that you want to start it, you write your first page. It's likely that you'll be able to write the rest of the story of the match too. And I just thought first page martial arts is a bit of a mouthful. So let's go with story because it was kind of the end of the coaching line and I've been writing stories for a long time as well. So that's how I decided on the name. That's pretty cool. So so your coach, was he referring to story sort of really having a clear game plan with just that first that first couple of minutes type of thing? Yeah, so, you know, if you want to be, for example, if you want to pull guard, get in there and pull guard. Like, if you want to get a takedown, get in there and get that takedown. Or if you want to get a certain grip or play a certain game, you have to take control of the match. And I think that's that really applies to jiu-jitsu, but I think it really applies to all areas of martial arts, especially in Taekwondo. You know, if I want to establish a certain distance or a certain 
style of play or a certain pace. I think any competitive martial artist will agree that if you start the match right and the way that you want to play, then the rest of the match is a lot easier to control. Definitely. All right, fantastic. All right, so we have story martial arts and let's let's break this down, right? Because I mean, twelve months is a is it's a real sprint to two hundred and fifty students for you know for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I've I've spoken to people that have been uh, you know been going for years and they at 70, 80 students. To be fair, though, a, a lot of those school owners that's that's their sweet spot, right? It's their it's their hobby business. They they're happy with that. But then I also speak to a lot of people that, I mean, if they were really honest with themselves, this is what, I mean, who doesn't want that lifestyle, right? They, they want that successful yeah. school. They want their life to be martial arts. And you've done this in a very short, in a very short sprint. So let's, yeah. let's go back to the beginning. It's only 12 months ago. How did, how did you get started with, with it all? So I started with my business partner, Lee, or who's my business partner over time, Lee. So we opened up in the community center um, just kind of near our houses. We knew there was a lot of kids around. There was a lot of primary schools, kindergartens. So we kind of already lived in an area where there was a bit of population density. We looked at the census data, which I think a lot of people maybe don't do so well. Um, we look at census data and see the how many people are in the area within eight kilometers of the center, how many children under 14. So what percentage of those people are children under 14, which this is all free information on the census website. We just search any suburb. Um, and what are those, uh, what are the, what's the population density in the surrounding suburbs? You know, people who will travel 10, 15 minutes to get to class, that kind of thing. So we settled on that location. We were kind of looking at three or four locations, but we kind of settled on due to convenience. It was near our, near our houses and it was pretty easy to get to for us after work because we ha I had a day job at, at the time as well, just like everyone else. Um, what we did straight away was establish a policy that I think is really, really important. It's a question I ask myself when I decide anything in my business is, will this work at 500? So will this policy work at 500 students? For example, uh, we have a grading checklist. So sign up on the checklist. You know, if I write, if I have two pages of a checklist, imagine going through you know, 40 pages of a checklist trying to make sure everyone's paid the grading. It's not gonna work on 500. If I have one instructor and I don't have a leadership team, it's not gonna work on 500. If I have a certain amount of mat space and I don't want to open on Tuesdays because I like having dinner with my wife or my girlfriend, whatever it is, it's not going to work on 500. So that policy at the start really laid the foundation for building that size because from the start, we were behaving and acting as if we already had 500 students. All right. I, I love that. Um, firstly, just for if, uh, American listeners and anyone uh, – not based in Australia, the census website is uh, basically a data website. Um, is, is that the best way to explain it? It's it's the yeah yeah it's it's a website that has you know the profile of each area. So it'll have like for example a suburb will have this is how many people live here, this is how many people are male or female, how many kids there are, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The average weekly income, which is also population, something yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah. All right, perfect. So, 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 yeah. Just wanted to just wanted to, to clarify that. So, so really, just the population and data of of the yeah. of a local area. So, what I really like about this um, is it's really a a very clear bit, begin with the end in mind. We in our uh, yeah. we we run a program called the Partners Program, and one of the first things we do is we we try and map out a game plan 
And with that, the first one of the questions we always ask is, you know, what's your goal at that student number? And then what's going to break? Like when you've got that, how does, how does life really look? I mean, if you know, it's, it's always good to say, yes, I want that amount of students and I want this. But then you really got to peel things back because what does life look like? What's going to break? Who are you going to need? Can things operate the way they, the way they do? And the first thing that normally breaks is the school owner, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the first camel to break is, is the school owner because, you know, like a lot of people in the martial arts business, they think they can do everything. They're um, a black belt in karate or a black belt in taekwondo or, you know, whatever you're an expert in is not a black belt in marketing. It's not a black belt in sales. It's not a black belt in web design. It's not a black belt in any of these things. And I think that's the greatest thing to overcome is, you know, you've spent so many years of your life earning this rank and earning this respect from your community and from your students and from the parents that you kind of, I feel like a lot of martial arts business owners don't want to give that respect up or give that responsibility to someone else, you know, to take control of your lifestyle. Now, for me personally, I've spent a lot of money learning how to do Facebook ads, not just from the obvious sources, you know, in Rod Darling, but um, you know, I was in Ben Simpkins Mastermind for, for six months and spent you know, nearly $20,000 learning how to do Facebook ads because that's something that I'm really good at. But if I did it for six months and wasn't getting any results, you better believe I would have hired someone else to do it because you need to be humble enough to admit that you're not always the best person to do every single job. Yeah, it's, it's such a valuable skill. And, and, and the way I find it is, you know, um, I, I personally think everybody should understand and know their own marketing. Um, you know, we, we come from a, a done for you background where we, you know, used to do everything for school owners. But I, I really feel that for, and, and, uh, it's an old top marketer, Dan Kennedy, uh, top copywriter. You know, he always had this philosophy of, um, there's two things in your business that you don't give, you know, that you don't hand over. One is the checkbook, the, the old term. Yeah. We don't have those anymore. Some some youngsters will be asking, "What is that?" Um, so the checkbook, the checkbook, and the marketing. Um, and and I'm not I'm not saying um, that you should do everything, but if you have the strategy, finding the hands is a lot easier. But you know the the reverse side of a lot of school owners are trying to do is go find the cheapest resource to do it all for them. And if that cheap resource had the strategy. They would not be cheap, right? So yeah. it's good to always have the, you know, get the top knowledge from the top person and then finding the hands, you know, within your own organization is, is much easier. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think another place that a lot of martial arts business owners goes, go wrong is that they might say, well, it's easy for you to say hire a marketing agency. You've got 250 students. But really, I didn't have it at the start. I put $500 on a Facebook ad, but I didn't have $500 in my bank account. That's just in, in the business account. That's just the truth because I knew that in my experience, I knew with my knowledge that I would be able to get the paid trials that would create the income that would cover that, that ad spend. I think a lot of martial arts business owners don't charge enough for their services, that's for sure. I think someone told me once they were charging like $50 a term or uh, for unlimited classes because, you know, but I could have 500 students. I'm like, well, on that price, I'd probably only need like 90. Yeah. You know, we, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm stalling here on, on this topic because this, this is probably the most important part of, of it all. I, I, I did a video yesterday, um, 
about the the toughest martial arts stretch in business. It's that discomfort of actually doing the discomfort. You just mentioned something that you know really uh, it's it's it, it's something that I had to go through. You know, you you saying that you spent five hundred bucks on that was you know on ads, and you knew there wasn't five hundred bucks in the account. I remember ten years ago when I started doing Google Ads, and I had I I was I was on my last cents. And I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm actually just going to leave this until I made a sale. 37 bucks was the best sale I ever made. Someone in America bought an ebook. That was that, the, the, the fact that somebody bought an offer that converted that. And that's the hardest part, right? Is, is getting your offer, you know, having your offer of that, your, your valuable offer that people respond to and they actually buy. That's, that's one of the hardest things. But then, to get to that point, you're gonna you're gonna have to take an uncomfortable step. There's, there's no doubt about it, right? Yeah, I think um, I think the uncomfortable step, George, is especially when people have day jobs. They say that there's an easy way out. I think it's an easy excuse. You know, I have a day job. I work till three o'clock. I go straight to the club, teach classes till seven, eight o'clock, whatever it is. To be honest, if you didn't want to have a day job and teach classes, maybe this isn't the business for you. Maybe that's my youth speak. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I went into it fully knowing that I was going to work 14 hours for as long as it took until I could get a full-time center, until I could train my staff, until I could have a little bit more freedom like I do now. Like, for example, I have time to talk to you today because I don't have a day job. There we go. And and I guess just to be clear, right, I mean, if, if that's the way you – if that's the life you want, perfect. But it's really easy to believe our own – BS, right? To really believe our own excuses and justify the reason. Um, because that's, that's always the first thing I, I pick up in a conversation. I don't have this because of this. But it's, yeah. it's really a choice because, I mean, it, it's, it's the story that, sorry, excuse the pun, but the story you tell, <laughs> it's the story you tell yourself to justify the reason why you're not there. But that's where you've got to really challenge yourself and really challenge yourself talk and say, all right, well, is that really true? I mean, if, if this thing I really want, then, hey, do the uncomfortable thing, whether that's spending money on the ads or quitting your job or whatever that is, but do that thing that's holding you back. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a contrast here to my athletic career. Um, in competition, I was gearing up for the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. I got onto what's called the uh, Olympic shadow team. So it's essentially, it's the team that, you kind of get put into, and then they select the Olympic athletes out of that team. Now, I, I didn't end up going to the Olympics. I was just on the shadow, and that, that was the end of the journey for me in terms of Rio. Um, on the way up, though, it was, you know, sorry, after the Games, my mistake, after the Games, it was, you know, it's not like, oh, they didn't pick my weight class, or they didn't, oh, I didn't get to go to as many competitions, or, you know, it was based on world ranking points, and oh, I didn't, I didn't have the money at the time to go to all the events. Well, I also went on holiday with my girlfriend at the time. I also went out with my friends on the weekend and spent, you know, 30, 40 bucks on a cheap night out as well. So it was, you kind of have to be okay with saying, you know, it's my fault. Like, I didn't, I didn't go to the Olympics and I 100% take all the responsibility for that. If I go ahead and start blaming, you know, Australian Taekwondo or start blaming the Olympic Committee, it's going to live my whole life hating people that really, I caused the situation. I think martial arts business is the same because 
I could have stayed on 50 students and only worked the classes, gone home, had dinner, gone to sleep. But I got home, I wrote more messages, created more flyers, created more social media content, entered all the direct debits in. I was doing everything until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night for at least the first nine months because I had a day job at a special ed school that I was at from 8 till 3.30. And before that 8 a.m. start, I was at the gym training for competitions. So I think if anything went wrong, even though I was working, you know, 12, 15-hour days, I still said, you know what, that parent didn't know about the grading or this person didn't get the email because we entered their email address in wrong in the system. That's my fault because I didn't train the receptionist to double-check or I didn't train my instructor to remind every single parent every class instead of every second class. No matter what happens in your business, eventually it all leads back up to you, the owner, the CEO, essentially. It's all on you. So I think that's an easy escape when you have a day job. I definitely don't think that excuse is really good enough. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So so we, we start with the end in mind, right? So so you know yeah. you, you're building up your systems. Five hundred you know, does this work on five hundred students? So what's what's the next yeah. step? So you, you get to you've gone from zero, you've gone to um, the, the easiest for you to track, right? The, the, the first 50 or the first 100 students? Yeah. first three months, we got 60 signups the first three months. So straight on direct debit, we're in a community center. So the rent is like you know, $100 a week. So 60 is plenty. We start looking at a full-time center. We, we find a full-time center quite quickly. Permits take a little while as they do, but we get in there for term three, 2017. So we spent one term in a part-time location. Wasn't going to work with 60 students three nights a week. Open up a full time, five nights a week, fitted it out, et cetera, et cetera. Now to go from that awkward point, I think from 50, 60, past our next breaking point, which was which was 100, I mean, that's an obvious goal to get to 100 students. The thing was finding people who knew more than me. So uh, I'm a big proponent and anyone can ask me any time, any questions they like on Facebook. If you are not in MABS, you are losing your mind. You need- Paul Veldman and Rod have such an excellent program and I base a lot of my, I, mean, look, I did the work, but I base a lot of my success on coaching from people like Paul and Rod. I also spent the money and went to the main event um, two months after opening my business. It wasn't, oh, that'll be good to go to next year when we have more cash. It was, how are we going to get the cash? I'm going to the main event to learn from all these guys, to learn from guys like you. And you know, I had been in the business for a grand total of eight weeks. So, yeah, I actually presented at that main event on a coaching. <laughs> Not on business, but on coaching feeds. I actually didn't realize that when, when I met you that that was your – you had just actually started your martial arts school. Yeah. I, it, it was hard in the roundtable, I think, because um, it's kind of hard to listen to someone who's had a club for two months <laughs> on business. But I, I'd had more students than some of those guys at the time, I think. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, again, the discomfort. The discomfort of you know you're in a situation and um, I mean you're being true to what you know and what you know it's not like you're deceiving anyone um, but you you're pushing yourself that extra step and and that's just so so important in in everything that we it's, it seems to be the topic we we sort of are hammering on over here. What I was going to say was at the main event actually I remember something that um, that Paul was saying about Paul Goldman was saying about taking action. So I didn't want to be one of those school owners who fills a notepad full of notes or fills their iPad or their computer full of notes, goes home and says, geez, that was fun catching up with everyone. Business as usual. That, that's ridiculous. Right? What a waste of time and money. So I just got right to it. Every single note in my main event notebook has been actioned. 
every single one. I did the seven word email that you talked about when I had only 20 people to send it to. And I still got three of them back. <laughs> so every single thing that was had happened at the main events, I implemented straight away. Every coaching call that I had with Paul, everything that someone would ask in the free Mavs group or the Titans group that we had at the time, every question that someone asked, I wrote a note and implemented it in my business that day. And not, oh, that'd be good next week when I have more time or, geez, on Sunday I'm going out with the family and I've got no time. Call my girlfriend at the time, man. Good. Good. Thanks, second here. I gotta get stuff done. So, going from the the, the part time school, you, you you made sure that you had some cash in the bank. So, you had made sure there was some direct debits coming in, and that was the first step yep. to get you to the full time location. Um, and then and then pushing through to that hundred students and past, how did things look from there? So, yeah, when we moved into the full time center, we had I think it was 50, 55. There's a couple of kids, you know, even if you move three or four kilometers down the road. A couple of kids don't want to really um, drive an extra distance. That's okay. So we came in with about 50-55. We knew we needed 70 to pay the bills. So we actually moved to the full-time center without enough students to pay the bills at the full-time center. So as soon as we moved in, we we're about a month away from closing down the business entirely and being stuck with a three-year lease. So what I did was we ran a big media open day, talked to all the business coaches, all my other friends who have martial arts businesses, all my former coaches. What do you do with an open day? I mean... I used to work at these open days when I was a coach at other schools as well. So ran a big open day, got 25 straight to direct debit on the day, hit 75, bills are covered, beauty. Then we immediately went into internal marketing. So we went through referral strategies, we did bring a friend week, Nerf gun nights, all that kind of stuff. And this is stuff that everyone listening to the podcast has heard before, but I think they probably need to do it a bit more frequently. So we were doing um, Nerf gun night once a term, open day, we would do spring family day in term four, which was kind of an open day on a smaller scale. You know, you would get 10 to 15 signups for a very small um, advertising budget in term four, and we hit 100 just after September. So it took us about yeah, a little bit less than nine months to get to 100 students. Okay, cool. We were just breaking up a little bit there. Okay, so so, okay. Nine, so nine months you, you were at your, your 100 students, right? Okay, cool. So lots of events, open days, um, Nerf yeah. gun wars, and really involving the community within within the school at that time. Yeah, and I think a really important note to make on the on the rapid growth up to that point was we really started realizing we were onto something special, and we that was probably my first ever mis- my first mistake my first ever mistake my first mistake in the business was we got to one hundred so quickly two hundred is going to be so easy. Because we just got to 100 in less than nine months. It's 200 going to be a cinch. We hadn't even ever had a term one kind of back to school special because we opened April. So we never even got that big kind of initial boost that most martial arts business owners hope and pray for the entire year. So we were kind of looking forward to through to term one, had six, seven thousand dollars ready to spend on Facebook ads with only one or two thousand dollars in the bank. At the time, we were still only just scraping by, I mean, we had to hire another instructor so it, it, um, because of the rapid growth of the club. So we had another instructor in the, on the mat and we were really looking forward to that term one boot. Get to term one, come back, 91 students on the books in January. I remember specifically 91 and I was like, you know what? This is going to be the last time that I ever have less than 100 students. It's going to be the last time ever that I have less than 100. So we put a big amount of marketing up. I think we spent... $14,000 in two months 
and we got 135 paid trials in one location. So we had a huge amount of kids. We ran an open day again. So again, bang, right up to 200 straight away. So the biggest mistake we made was not uh, adhering to our own rule, which is, does this work at 500? And the systems that we had in place at the time were working, and we thought that were going to work at 500. But all of a sudden, 130 brand new white belts in the door in the first kind of six weeks of the term wasn't a very good idea. So we probably should have been less aggressive with our marketing, even though it's kind of hard to give up money and students and enrollments. We should have set a limit where, you know, 60, 70 trials, we stopped selling trials because we ended up losing like, I think, 60 or 70 of those kids anyway. So out of 135, I think we only kept like 50. So we ended up on 140 students. Whereas if we had better systems and maybe more things in place for retention of new white belts, not just retention of the whole club, but white belt retention specifically, we would have done a better job of keeping a larger number of those 135 trials that we got in that month. Okay, and so so that's a, a, a good point there, you know, where the it's always it's always good to say, if only I've got an extra 100 students or something. But again... How does the systems fall apart on that? How does it impact your existing students and then, of course, your new students? So if you had to, let's say, you know, um, depending on when you're listening to this, but let's say the new year, you run another campaign and you you get another influx of 135 students. How would yeah. you structure this differently? What, what would you have in place to make sure of a smooth onboarding? To be honest, I would probably try and stop it before it got to that point because in the business now, it's there's a lot of color belts, obviously. There's you know kids getting through to the advanced levels now we've been open for a little bit. And I really think that I would stop at like 70 or 80 trials and then just stop the ads right there. And, you know, those kids are going to join eventually, those extra 50, 60 kids that I haven't sold trials to. But if I can get 80 and keep 65, 70 of them, it's a lot it's a lot better and also I haven't spent a lot of money on ads for kids that are gonna have a negative experience in my in my center just because it's so jam packed with white belts. Now, everyone knows that we have to give those white belts extra special attention. It's very hard to give extra special attention to twenty two white belts in a new class. It, it's just impossible. In a thirty, forty five minute class, it's not it's not possible. I think any big school owner and what we're getting to now is being a big school is that they realize that even if you're teaching good classes, the parents might not see that they're good classes because there's 30 kids running around. Um, even though you're a good instructor, it might not look like you're a good instructor to them. And at the end of the day, they're paying the bills. So I think that's what we've really been trying to curb is making sure the parents know that I'm teaching good classes. Because, I mean, I'm obviously teaching good classes. We have this many students. We've retained a lot of them. Um, our, my recent boost for this term, we had 97% sign up from trials. Um, no word of a lie, send anyone who's listening a Zen Planner screenshot. Um, so all those kids that were staying in, obviously we're running a good program. But the challenge now becoming a bigger school is, can you run a good program at 500? So back to that initial rule again, is this going to work? Even though it's worked up until now, is it going to work at 500? Is And the way that I'm teaching the classes now, I'm making the mat chats a bit more vocal. I'm making the kids laugh and go give their parents a high five and that kind of thing. Come back into the class, go tell your mum that you just had a good time, you know, that kind of stuff. So we're really working now on making the parents part of the experience. Uh, I listened to a really good podcast and 
um, about Airbnb launching their experiences platform, where instead of renting a house, you can rent an experience. So you can go and like, you know, do your horseback riding in Utah or do a samurai museum show in Tokyo and those kinds of things. So I think the challenge for us now is what's the story martial arts experience look like? For a student, everyone knows what it looks like. They're learning martial arts, they're building their character, building their life skills. But what does the story martial arts experience feel like for a parent watching class? For a parent who's at the end of the day deciding what happens to the child, the child might be getting better at Taekwondo or be getting better at karate. That's, that's the truth. They might be getting better at their martial art. They might be having a lot of fun. But does the parent think they're getting better? Does the parent think that they're having fun? Is, does the parent see the value in paying whatever it is you charge per week? Because if you believe it and the kid believes it, it doesn't matter. Because the most important missing link in that chain is the parent who decides. That is That was pure gold. That was awesome. Adam, before we wrap it up, I, I do want to ask you just, um, so how, how, do, how does things look, look now and, and what's, your, what's going to be your prime focus from 250 through to that 500 student mark that you've been, that's been on the, on the goal? Uh, so like I said earlier, the, the prime focus is working at a big business scale now, but where we're at, it's moving from a medium-sized medium martial arts school to a very large martial arts school. And what I'm doing is listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books about people who own gym franchises. So Anytime Fitness is one in particular. They have 500,000 members nationwide. So imagine the retention that you have to put on a gym. Uh, obviously, there's no martial arts school anywhere near that. So what my sign-up experience was, I've been kind of going around to gyms and trying to sign up. So they would I'd literally spend an hour of my day going to gyms, asking about the membership plans and seeing how they treat me as a, as a potential client. And I've been taking the best parts and leaving out the worst, preparing for that big influx in January. Um, like we said at the top of the show, I think I'm opening a Pilates business as well. So not really the topic of this podcast, but Pilates and martial arts running together under the story group of companies. How are we going to give that experience to that customer, to that client? How are we going to... How are we going to improve their life through the sign-up process? Not through what we're teaching on the mats, because that's obvious. Everyone knows that. It doesn't need to be repeated a thousand times. Good classes, make sure you're good at martial arts, invest in your staff training. Everyone knows that. But how pleasurable is that sign-up process? How do they go away thinking, geez, I can't believe I got away with that value? How can we even offer more and more value? Not on the mat when, when they come in, because everyone's already working on that. What we're not working on as an industry, I believe, is you know, giving out those gift bags and offering free sausages to the community, you know, going around giving out things like that, shopping centers and things like that, things that big gyms do because they work. Martial arts businesses, I think, miss out on the sign-up experience a lot. So I guess that's my focus is making sure the parents and the students enjoy the classes. Obviously, they have to enjoy the classes to stay, but also enjoy the process, purchasing the trial, how easy is it to buy it, come into the class, how welcoming is my staff, that kind of thing. Fantastic. I love it. Adam, we should have done this sooner. Thanks for, thanks for being on the show. It was really great. Um, no worries. And, and I think a lot of people are going to get a, value, a lot of value out of this. Just, I mean, the beginning of the story and, and it's all value, but I think really focus on you know, what you said in this last few minutes of the experience. That's, that's true gold. And uh, it's, it's something I've... I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about. Um, 
So really, yeah, I'd really take that on board. For if anybody wants to get a hold of you, you mentioned as well you're bringing out an ebook. Can you just tell us a bit about that? Yep. So the ebook is called Offering Value: How to Scale Your Business Through the Mathematics of Kindness. So it's really about the journey from zero to two fifty, the last twelve to eighteen months now, and how we're planning on offering even more value. Not taking more monetary value, but offering even more value to our customers, and really building an experience inside of our martial arts business. We're also going to go over a lot of things about irresistible offers, so how we've been able to attract all the leads, and more importantly, how we've been able to sign up the staggering rate of those trials that have come up. We've—I don't think we've ever had below 80%, except for that one time where it was um, the, the big rush. So yeah, the book is called Offering Value. It's going to come out at the end of January, just in time for the back-to-school marketing stuff. It's going to be on Amazon. There's no courses at the end, no paid groups. It's just trying to, me, offer value to the martial arts business industry. Fantastic. And I would link. I will link to that in the show notes, um, depending on when you're listening to this. That, that'll be available. Um, and Adam, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect with other top smart martial arts school owners and have a chat about marketing, lead generation, what's working now, and or just have a, a gentle rant about things that are happening in the industry, then I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group and in there I share a lot of extra videos and downloads and worksheets, things that are working for us when we work, help school owners grow and share a couple of video interviews and a bunch of cool extra resources. So uh, it's called the Martial Arts Media Community and an easy way to access it is if you just go to the domain name martialartsmedia.group. So martialartsmedia.group, G-R-O-U-P. Uh, there's no .com or anything, martialartsmedia.group. That will take you straight there. Uh, request to join and I will accept your invitation. Thanks. I'll speak to you on the next episode. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.